Dear Shooter, If you have been handgun training and not utilizing your carry gun for this, maybe your carry isn't right for you. We will be discussing this as well as instructor conference, ammo prices on the rise, and those of you taking on boutique calibers, where's the powder? Of course I'm happy. Good. Just checking because I'm like getting the stink eye here. Go do your thing, but get good at your craft first and put your budget to things that really matter at the end of the day. You want to get good at it and make no mistake about it. That's training. Let's face it. If you have a size 62 waist, you are not as tactical as 5'11 might think you are. <laughs> and we've all seen it. <laughs> Welcome to the Deer Shooter Podcast. I am your host, Jason Crotto. Deer Shooter is brought to you by WyoTac, Empowerment Through Self-Reliance, and Lucid Optics, on target, under budget. All right, happy Thursday, and you've given us a lot to unpack, especially considering you're supposed to be, like, starting to wind down here. Well, you know, I want to keep you on topic, so I figure if I touch everything in the world, you will never be off topic. (laughs) She'll never let you finish slow. (laughs) No. (laughs) God, so I guess... Jeez, where, where do you even start? Uh, well, I mean, you just came back from an instructor conference, and I kind of want to hear about that a little bit because over a few drinks the other night, that spurred a conversation that made the top list of this lead-in. So talk to us about the instructor conference just a little. Okay, so I, I spent last week, I was in, in Reno, um, and it's kind of the, the annual uh, intuitive defensive shooting. It's the instructor development course. And we also use that as like a mini conference. We had, there was seven instructors there uh, to two students. So they got instructed. Now these students were learning how to become instructors for the program? Yes. So this is kind of the meeting of the the cream of the crop top list of this program. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And programs developed by? This is this is Rob Pincus's program, ICE right. Training. All right. Um, this is one that I've been an instructor for for He's eight years now. All right. Are you that old? I know, right? <laughs> I think I had to get parental permission to go through the, the course. Um, but, yeah, so it, we, we spent last week doing that. It's a three-day course. And uh, I, I thought the candidates did fairly well. Uh, now, this, it this is an exceptionally hard one. They don't all pass. No. Um, it, Historically, there's been about a 50% failure rate. All right. I think that has gone up in the last few years. It's probably closer to 65, 70%. Well, and these two students, do they know they passed yet? Because I know there was a written exam that needs graded before. I don't know. Um, I have not heard the results yet. I'm pretty sure they know, but I don't. Um, But that's not all there is to it. This isn't like most instructor development courses where you go and you spend two or three days and you get your certificate and now you're an instructor. Um, That's not how this one works. Okay. So going to this instructor development merely gives you the opportunity to become an instructor. So you've got to pass your written test with uh, 90% or better. 
there's a lot of subjective uh, teachbacks that take place, um, and and collectively the instructors kind of go, yeah, they're good enough or not. If not, they do have the opportunity to come back. So, and so this is really a proving ground for Rob to make sure that whoever's going to have the opportunity to teach his program can actually be an educator. Yes. Because instructors and educators, they're different animals. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of guys out there teaching firearm stuff, but the very few educators. And there's a big difference between the two in my mindset. Well, yeah. Uh, a lot of the courses that you see, and, and you see this especially, NRA is notorious for this. Um, it's, it's designed to be taught from a PowerPoint. So as long as you can read it off the slide or read it off the clipboard, you can teach the class. You don't have to have this deep understanding of the material that you're teaching. You just have to be able to regurgitate it. This program is not like that. Well, and I appreciate that because I've been through those courses before. And there, there's no way for the instructor to know whether you actually grasp the concepts of the curriculum before he hands you a certificate saying you're competent now. So that having the educator side of things is very valuable. It is. It is. And, and, and that's and part of being an instructor for this program. I mean, there's a lot to it. You know, not only do you have to pass these, these written tests, you have to pass these subjective tests, but then you've got to go and team teach with one of the senior instructors before you can actually go out. You know, we give you the blessing to go out on your own and, and teach it. Got it. Um, and the, even the follow-up. You know, I have, I have seen them cut people from, from the roles of instructor because, you know, they haven't done anything and they haven't contributed to the program in, in several years. Nobody's heard from them. It's like they're teaching a version that's five or six years old. That's not what we're doing anymore because this is, this is a program that's ever-evolving. And that's good, too, from a student perspective. I, I would embrace that program a little bit better because if it involves, it stays state-of-the-art and it stays relevant to the times of what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Just, for me, I've, I've had all the courses from um, the NRA side and – um, some courses from other folks. And if they don't make sure that the students grasp the curriculum and the hand you certificate, that's a kind of falsehood of you're now prepared to go do whatever activity you were training to go do. Well, I think that's a consequence of, of like I said, a lot of these programs were developed that somebody could just read it off a clipboard. They don't have to necessarily understand what they're teaching. They just got to be able to regurgitate it. And if you can regurgitate it back or you know write it down on the on the uh, multiple choice or whatever test you might have to take uh then that's it well uh, there's no there's not that deeper understanding see that's uh, critically important because if i'm learning something i want to make sure i get it i'm there for a reason right i'm not just putting pretty pictures and paper on my wall so i'm going to give you opportunity for a shameless plug here um for those of you listening um, if you want real education, not just simple instruction, where do you go? Uh, well, obviously, you're going to go to wyotac.com. Okay, um, good. And, and one of the benefits of that is host a class. you got a bunch of, you got a group of people that want the training. We'll come to you. Let's, let's make it more accessible to more people so that you don't have to come clear across the country to the middle of nowhere, Wyoming, to come and train with me. I'll come to you. So not only is it 
excellent education, you're going to make it easy? I'm going to make it easy. That's brilliant. And if you host a class and you wrangle the cats and get everybody butts in seats, uh, I'm going to give you your tuition for free. That's a value. Because that's... That's hard work sometimes. Um, oh, it always is the hardest part of it. We, we talk about it all the time. Everybody wants to train until it t- comes time to open the wallet and get into class. That's right. That's right. And then all of a sudden, everybody has something better to do. So you were sitting around at the uh, after hours at the instructor conference party kind of deal, and you guys were talking about observations you saw of people that come to class. Um, if it's a a pistol handling class, a concealed carry class, a defensive shooting class, whatever. And what they're training with is not the same thing that they carry. Well, and this is this has been kind of an ongoing thing and something that we watch for at the beginning of class. Uh, you'll see people that come to, and especially a defensive class like this, because we're teaching, you know, principles of counter ambush, things like that for... For those that carry a firearm on a, on a daily or, or at least regular basis, and they will come to class, and they're pulling out this great big Smith & Wesson full size that they're carrying in a drop holster, and you're like, cool, do you carry that every day? And it's, no. Well, what do you carry? Well, I carry a Glock 48. Why aren't you training with it? And I think the misconception is is, while they're in training, while they're at a class, they want the best potential marksmanship that they can get. Um, and they're familiar with their range pistol, right? Because they shoot it a lot. And I'm guilty of it, as, as anybody else is. I don't shoot my carry pistol nearly enough. Right. But I shoot my range pistol a lot. Mm-hmm. And I'm comfortable with it. So the temptation would be to bring that to a class where I'm going to have to perform in front of people problem with it is it's not what i'm training to do no and something one of the things that we talk about is frequent and realistic training well if you're not training with the gun that you carry every day it's not realistic um and that's the same thing with well i carry a 1911 and 45 but i'm training out here with a you know vp9 in nine millimeter you know the same thing I may have seen a version of that in our advanced pistol class. I may have seen a version of that, too. (laughs) Uh, But in the class setting, how is the instructor to know that unless you make it a requirement? You ask. Okay. Um, That's one of the things I ask at the the very beginning of every class. And I I think most of the IDS guys do this. Um, They will ask you, is is that the gun you carry every day? And if not, why not? Um, Because a lot of times, you know, we, we diagnose problems based on, it, it may flat out be shooter ability, but a lot of times it's the gear that they're using. I have seen students come into class and struggle with the equipment because it, it just, the gun didn't fit them, the holster wasn't right, something was, was hindering their performance. And I think that's why people come with their range gun because mm-hmm. um, they're not necessarily comfortable with their carry gun, which is bananas because... It's the one you carry every day. You right. should be most familiar with it. Right. And I get why a lot of people don't. Um, you think about the guns that we, we typically look at for carry. So a lot of times they they might be single stack, double stack, but they're typically smaller framed. They're lighter. They're thinner, mm-hmm. which means they got a little bit more bite on the recoil. And, and after three or 400 rounds in a day of shooting, they hurt. So I can understand why somebody would want a bigger gun with more mass. But at the same time, you have to understand, like, you've got to train with that gun that you carry. 
Well, then, if you're doing a marksmanship class, I get it. No problems. Right. If you're doing a defensive situation type of class, advanced pistol handling, defensive pistol, whatever, um, use the tool that you're going to use in that circumstance. Right. Uh, and I went through advanced pistol handling with my HK. Mm-hmm. Right. But it is the gun that I carry with me in most places I'm at. It's my truck gun. Right. Um, now, I did have to work through some holster issues because... I don't usually have that one on my person. Mm-hmm. I need to train with it out of my truck. Right. Which is a whole different range session than it would be from a concealed carrier's perspective. Exactly. And I just changed my carry pistol, and I need to start working with it. Yep. But I don't, I'm not going to take that necessarily to a class unless that's what it's designed for. So the class needs to dictate what you use. Right. So how, I guess back to getting the students to wrap their head around that. Is there a pre-vetting to the class that you should go through? I think what you need to do is you need to pay attention to the the gear list that you're told to bring. Pay attention to the emails that go out before class. Wait, you send one of those out? It's not just a self-correcting problem? No. It's not. <laughs> I mean, it, look. I say that because it's funny because that, I know. your mentor actually uses that line. I know. But it, at the same time, and this is... It, it, <laughs> call this condescending but the way i teach classes and the way i approach it because i assume just by default that somebody coming into my class may or may not have ever really shot before or they've never been through a class before they've never been through a structured training before and they don't know give them the information help you know give them what they need to be successful because if you're not doing that i i I think that looks poorly on you as an instructor back to education again not just an instructor yeah and there's a again guys out there if you're listening pay attention to this because the quality instructor is going to send you some pre-information before you show up to class and all that stuff is there for a reason it's not just words on paper so you come kind of prepared it's there use it the 10th mountain whiskey and spirit company is an extension of the mountain lifestyle bringing together the old and the new generation after generation Men and women alike all share the same passion. Enjoying it for a day, a weekend, a lifetime, or somewhere in between, no matter how long it's embraced, the combination of friends, mountains, memories, and spirits brings people together like no other. To encourage these relationships and to embrace the mountain lifestyle and to honor the 10th Mountain Soldiers who inspired our way of life, they have created a tribute spirit company in Vail, Colorado. Not only is it a tribute to the 10th Mountain Soldier, but it's also a tribute to those that enjoy the mountain lifestyle, living it fully every day. Support those that support us. And to make it easier, 10th Mountain has offered our listeners a discount. Just enter Deer Shooter at checkout for 10% off your next order. 10th Mountain Whiskey and Spirits. Whiskey worth fighting for. Well, and I get it. I mean, I've, I've had people come up come to class with, with guns that really weren't right for them. But... It was their first gun. They didn't know any better. And and I... What's the most mismatch you came across? <laughs> oh, I, I guess probably the worst one. I had, uh, I had a woman come to class uh, middle of the year. And she's 6'2". Like, I, I had to look up to her. Um, big hands. Like, long fingers. And she, was, she had an LCP. Oh, good Lord. A small um, pocket pistol. Yeah. 
and it, it, you know, of course, it was one of those. Oh, my husband got this for me for Christmas, and uh, was it pink? Yeah, uh, I think it was purple. Oh, that's even better. But it, <laughs> it, that's what makes me nuts, and we and we've talked about that here before. Uh, I I blame husbands and boyfriends and counter help and and to a certain extent the industry for marketing a lot of these guns to women that are absolutely horrible for a first gun. On on the other side of it, it sounds like this might be a pistol she actually carried. It was okay. So at least you know problem A is solved. But once she had been through a class and I, and, I, and when she walked into class, I mean she admitted to me she'd run a box of ammo through it. Okay, um, not shot it much. No. So by about midday in class, I started pulling guns out that I had. and Try this, try this, try this. And by the end of class, um, she had gone and, and already or, had her husband order her a Hellcat <laughs> because it fit. And yep. she liked it. Yep. And uh, she actually came back for, for a second class later in the year with that Hellcat and rocked it. Good. So going back to gear selection guys just stop just stop okay um send send your send your wife or your daughter or your girlfriend to class first to learn before you go pick her out the pistol that you think she needs and that's a struggle though i mean you, you, you have these folks in your life uh, the husband the boyfriend and you trust their judgment because well obviously they know what they're talking about or they think they do well Right? They think they do, and the counter help does not help. <laughs> uh, no, they sell the gun they're getting a, a, a spiff on or something like that. Right. But um, what was the best fit you've seen come across your class? Uh, oddly enough, uh, it, was, it, was, it was another woman that came to class, and she was running a thirty-eight Special revolver. All right, that's an oddball. It was, and I, and I was a little... I mean, I, in the world of striker-fired pistols out there, yeah. she chose a revolver. Yeah. All right. And and I, you know, when she first pulled it out of the bag, I kind of I, I said, you know, how how comfortable are you running that? And she she looks at me and she goes, look, I I, I get it. You're probably a little worried because you see these and, and people can't run them. She goes, but I shoot cowboy action, and I'm like, you're gonna do fine. No, she's you. And she very did. Familiar with it. Yeah, yep. she did. Like, she and, and to the point, I was watching her, and there was times she could reload that revolver. Faster than the person next to her reloading a semi-auto. That's impressive. She was good with that thing. But she competes with them. She knows how to run them. All right. And, uh, you know, she was one of those ones that always reinforced to me, don't don't be too quick to judge until you know the backstory. Right, right, right. So uh, pistol class is one thing. Carbine's another animal. Mm-hmm. Um, I see a lot of guys build up the Mall Ninja AR. Yep. And it's got everything, un- including a kitchen sink built onto the damn thing, mm-hmm. and they show up to a carbine course with that. Mm-hmm. You are not motion effective. You are not balanced, and then there's no way for you to use all of the gear that's hanging off of it just because you have rail space. Um, simpler the better in a carbine course, in my opinion. Yep. But that's my humble opinion. No, and you're absolutely right. You put, put what you need on the gun, and beyond that, try, try and leave it as slick as you can because it's just going to be easier for you to operate. Less crap getting in your way. Uh, and I've seen that too. And usually by 10, 11 o'clock in the morning, you see them over there at the tailgate of their truck pulling stuff off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and long range course is the same type of thing you see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily you know a bunch of stuff hanging off the gun, but they'll show up with ammo they've never shot. 
Yep. They don't understand the ballistics of it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're taking an intermediate type course, which is, means it's probably going to be a couple days. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be some math involved. And the optic that they've chosen is either a Hubble telescope yep. that they don't understand how to work, or it has pieces and parts in it that don't talk to each other very well. <laughs> yeah, we've seen all of that. So um, I, but we're talking about bringing the right tool to the class, right? Does there need to be a class before the class to talk about guncraft, maybe? No. Uh, now, it, okay, no, and I, and I say that because I, I, I do agree with Rob in this to he a certain extent. He says it's a self-correcting problem. Yes, I, I have to agree with Rob on that one. It, it, a lot of this is a self-correcting problem because the mall ninjas that you actually get into class, and they're very few, because they want to look cool. They don't want to actually have to perform in front of somebody. We've all seen that. But, you know, one of the things you touched on, especially with the long range, is somebody coming in with untested ammo. I don't have a problem with that. And the reason I, I say that is because in the long-range classes that we teach, we test the ammo, we zero the gun, we get the ballistics, we build that dope. Um, so having somebody coming in with something that's completely untested as far as ammo goes, as long as they have the same lot number or their reloads are consistent, I don't care because then we can tune them to that. So don't bring two boxes from the store, a box grandpa loaded, one my uncle Randy loaded. Yes. You're funny because we've seen that. We have seen that. You're absolutely right. Blank slate is a good place to start in some circumstances. It is. And and I've had a lot of students come into class and they, they flat out said, hey, I just bought this gun. I got a case of ammo. So I know the ammo is all gonna, at least going to be the same lot number. So we, that, that's a good starting point as far as, I mean, from a, from a precision rifle standpoint, that's, that's a great starting point. We can work with that. It's the guy that, like you said, he's got five different kinds of ammo. He's running an optic that he doesn't understand that he bought because it looked cool. Um, you know, running a, a rifle and in a caliber that he's probably overgunned for what we're doing. Um, I had a guy show up in our long range class and we talk about it. We do most of our work between about four and a thousand, 400 and a thousand yards. That's where we do most of our work. We do a little bit beyond. We don't really do much closer in, but it's that mid range stuff. Right. And I had a guy show up with a 338 Lapua. Ouch. All right. And. Uh, nothing wrong with the round. No, it'll, nothing, it'll nothing at all. You're asking to do in that course, but it's like eight dollars a shot. It, it's eight bucks a shot. Cha-ching. And well, yeah, and and what ended up happening was because that is so fast and so big at those distances, there was he wasn't he wasn't having to learn wind and holdovers and things like that because it was so small in those distances. He didn't get out of the class what he should have gotten because his gun was overperforming. I see what you're saying. But on the other side of it, is that the gun he chooses to go and shoot or is it his range gun? I, yeah, and I never really got a straight answer out of him. Um, it was one that he had just built, and that was his new favorite gun. So take him out further. We did. We, we ended up putting him out to 2,000 yards in that class. But the meat and potatoes of the class... He, he kind of lost out on a lot of that. Yeah, he bullied through most of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. 
So you can kind of hamper yourself by gear selection. You can. Interesting. So it, it, it happens. Now, it, you're not going to be able to do something like that in, in a pistol class and probably not in a carbine class. Long range, you can, you can find a way to not have to do the work. True. Now, it depends on the pistol class, though, too. I mean, uh, are you allowing race guns in class? If that's what they want to carry, okay, fine. But that, we're going to have obviously that's not what they carry. No, but we're going to have the discussion that why are you using this gun? And I have had that discussion. I've had people who come in with a gun that obviously does not fit them, but they don't have a choice because they're an armed professional and that's what they're issued. So that's where we have to find. It goes back to that instructor versus educator. That's where we have to find a way for them to be able to work that gun as well as possible. And you've also had the other way. You've had armed professionals come in with the gun that they don't carry on duty. Right. And spend the day working with something they're comfortable with rather yep. than what they carry. Yep. Back to the topic we started out talking yep. about, Ex right? Exactly. We've had that happen, too. But, so, and I'm going to tell you guys right now, um, Christmas is coming. Buy ammo. Um, I just read a thing from Vista Group that we're about to go experience powder shortage and ammunition costs are going up somewhere between 7 and 18%. We recently had a guy on that does distribution for ammunition. Yeah. And uh, he helped us out quite a bit um, dispelling some of the myths around conspiracy theories on ammo gobbling and things like that. I mean, it, it happens. It's, it's going on out there. But guys, we got wars on two places of this planet right now that are pretty raging yep um and ammunition's going that direction pretty fast mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so from the commercial market side of things you're gonna see that market ebb and flow with those conflicts right so yeah if you can find it and you can afford it ammo's a good investment even it absolutely fits is. in stockings ask me how i know it does interesting <laughs> you put a lot of ammo in stockings do you well, you know, it keeps him happy. A little bit of chocolate, some ammo. I'm good. Stocking done. He leaves you alone, <laughs> lets you have a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But, and, and that kind of brings us to another topic that, that we started out with, and that was, and it was something you and I started discussing a little bit, was boutique calibers. There has been a rash of them in the past, well, ever. There's always something new, the hot new cartridge of the day. Um, there's a few that have just hit the scene in the past few months that make me scratch my head a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and worse yet, the magazines are trying to make comparisons to things that, that shouldn't be compared. So they're muddying the water and the people that are searching the web for information. Right. But boutique cartridge, right? So we're talking about things like uh, 22 ARC. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to say it, and I'm probably going to get death threats for it, but guys, the 22 ARC is a 224 Valkyrie. There is no difference. One's Federal, one's Hornady. Right. There, I said it. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, we were talking about the 6 ARC, and I'm a huge fan of 6 ARC. I love it. But if you start looking at the ballistics, Brandy shoots a 6-millimeter Creedmoor. Same bullet, and functionally... There's no difference. I, she can do everything with that six creed more than I do with the six arc. I there only, is one difference. Well, it, I can fire form your brass to fit my gun, and you can no longer use it. Not, it's an awesome thing. Not you're with talking, the arc. You're talking, you're talking the XC. Oh, your XC. XC. Yeah, I mean they're so nominal. That but it is. I, we we have three guns, and two of them are boutique. 
I got the 6XC and the 6ARC. The 6ARC, maybe not so much because there's a lot of commercially available ammunition. But the 6XC, there is none. That is a reload-only proposition. Yeah. It, it's a Where's the powder? Idea. No <laughs> kidding. Where's the powder? But, Where's but the primer? It, but, I mean, we've looked at this, and we've, we've tested this out in, in several of the long-range classes between the 6ARC, the 6Creed, and the 6XC. There's like 10 inches of difference at 1,000 yards. Ballistically, they're almost identical. A novice to intermediate shooter would not notice the difference from a terminal side of things. They, they wouldn't. just wouldn't. They wouldn't. Um, but if you're looking at NATO cartridges, right, they all have a very distinct use. Absolutely. And there's a huge separator between them. 5.56 five, and 308 are the two that they go right next to hand in hand. Right. Completely different uses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you jump from a NATO cartridge, you jump to a not 6 Right. A much different profile. Mm-hmm. Right. And 300 Wind Mag came in several years ago as a U.S. military adopted. Um, you start looking at the difference between OT6 and Wind Mag. There is one, but... It's spitting a thirty caliber pill. And, and then a lot of times in the same weight. In the same relative speed profiles. Mm-hmm. Um, so where do you draw the line of a boutique cartridge, right? Because you have the old standards, 7 mag, right? Now you got a 7 PRC. Mm-hmm. Um, since it's new, does that classify it as boutique? I think it does to a certain extent. But, it, but at the same think, time, it's not. I think boutique is the ones like your XC. Where you can't purchase the ammo off the shelves, it has to be made. I would consider that more boutique. But well, and I guess I'm calling it boutique because, while it, while yes, I I have the whole ammo issue with the six XC, but your six Creed will do everything my XC will do. It's not I'm I'm right, not that's pushing why, boundaries. That's here. why your XC is boutique. Right. Because you have to make the ammo. But it wasn't that long ago six Creed would have been considered boutique though too. It was. Um, six five Creed more came out. And a lot of the PRS guys, the NRL guys, sorry guys, but you're gamers, you're looking for recoil management and the same ballistic profile best you can, right? It's nothing new. But, we, well, no, it's not nothing new because, it, well, or I guess it is nothing new. Let me let me rephrase that because <laughs> let's let's go back 50 years. It's a 6.5 Swede. No, 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 no. 6.5 Swede's a different cartridge altogether. Um 6.5 Swede um, stereotypically was ra- is chambered in a big, non-conical, round-nose projectile. Um, and it's an interesting cartridge. Um, it was a European cartridge uh, that, that had its place on the battlefield, but is very, very lesser known. Um, 6.5 Creedmoor is a completely different animal. Um, Hornady actually got that one right and introduced it in a time frame when the 308 was running really strong. Um, they actually hired a rocket doctor oh, yeah. to figure out the efficiencies of, and they are pushing a 6.5 projectile up into 308 weights. You see 152s now, and that puts it in the same category as a 155 in the 308. All right. All right. So, I mean, terminal weight velocities, they're getting to be very similar. Um, the Creedmoor is still more efficient, where the Swede um, didn't evolve. It, it stayed a European cartridge and never made it to the U.S.'s popular as it should have been well and I'll, I'll i'll give hornady props all day long for the guy that they've got designing this stuff um 
But my point is there's so many of these calibers, and, and what's the point of going to, let's say, a 6.5, 284? Why am I going to do that? Why, well, why would 284 Norma is a pretty hot rod cartridge for what it does. Right. But is there something better, more affordable, more available that's going to give me similar performance? And, oh, absolutely. And, and, yes. let's, and let's face it, most shooters, they're not good enough to know the performance difference. And you're touching on something that's also going to be part of the, I guess, classification for it all, um, barrel life. Um, a lot of the NATO cartridges have an extremely long barrel life. Mm -hmm. um, they're not necessarily super high pressure. Um, and what they do manage really, really well is being consistent. Right. Uh, even across a, a factory or a military load profile, very consistent. Where the boutique cartridges, they typically need a special powder charge. Yep. They need to be seated to a certain depth to meet the lands of the rifle, and they are often high pressure and erode barrels a lot faster. Mm -hmm. You're seeing things like the 26 Nosler come out. Um, it's a 65300 from Weatherby. Relatively similar. Yep. Right? It is a barrel-burning rifle. I mean, you're looking 700 to 1,000 rounds in a good barrel. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that kind of has to be discussed when you start looking at why do I need the boutique cartridge. Need is an interesting word. Because they're collecting and there's a little sticker on their safe where one's missing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the, the, the problem with that is, is every year there's a new cartridge that comes out. So your safe has to have a blank spot because you don't even know what that spot is. No one would have predicted the 22 arc. You get the new gun safe for the new guns. And I agree with that. I agree with that completely. Fair enough. But it, you have to ask yourself why, right? Either it's a range toy, or you have a real reason for it. Right? Well, I mean, we we bought the we 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 built up the PRCs for ELR specifically. Yep. yep. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That's one thing I was like, ooh, 300 Win Mag, I can get another 500 rounds in the barrel life. True. And you're not gaining about two, maybe 300 feet a second, nope. which. That's substantial. It, it, yeah, but it's still in that same profile for it cartridge. is, and and I and I've shot it right next to a 300 Win Mag, and we were making the same shots with relatively close to the same ballistic profile. Correct. Um, now I think the difference was I think the Win Mag had a little bit lighter bullet. Okay, so next test you do you do apples to apples. Yeah, and I'd, I'd be interested to see how that that played out. Um, barrel life for me and. Because as much as shooting as I do, it's a consideration. Mm -hmm. But barrels are cheap. They are. In the grand scheme of everything, it, it's a little hassle to swap one. But when it runs out, it runs out, and you don't have a functional firearm anymore. Right. And I think I've done that uh, over the last few years. Is I, I make sure, especially the, the, the high round count stuff that I shoot, I've got an extra barrel sitting around. So, I've seen you do that. Yep. So it's you know it, it it's ready to go when needed. You also took a, a rifle that was kind of nostalgic to you, and put a new barrel on it and, and upgraded its stock, and it breathed new life into that rifle. Yeah. What was that one? That was the that was the thirty out six project. That was a rifle that was given to me when I was fourteen, uh, as a hunting rifle, and it started out life as a stock Winchester Model seventy. Um, Older than I am, 
and I stripped it down to the action. Uh, put a heavy bull barrel on it, fluted barrel, um, upgraded the optics, went to HS Precision stock on it, and that thing is a tack driver. Um, I took proven at this hunting season. I, I did prove it. I uh, two deer at 400 yards in about 30 seconds of each other, and mm -hmm. ended up having to take a shot on an elk that normally I wouldn't have taken. Um, we had a couple of hunters out that we were guiding, and one of the one of the cows that he had shot at got wounded. Stopped, um, skylined on top of a ridge line at about 760 yards and was able to put her down one shot See that that cartridge is plenty capable oh yeah and you're learning to trust the cartridge and the rifle mm -hmm. um but it's a about six i mean we're over what 160 years old now probably excellent cartridge mm -hmm. it gets a bad rap because it's old because it's old but you know what uh, you, the, those 175 grain terminal ascents get the job done they do very well um and it's and it's nothing to it, it you know, people go, oh, it's six. Why don't you shoot a six five? Or why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Because I'm shooting. Uh, you know, I'm 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 throwing out 175 grain, very new, very modern projectile, at 2,850 feet per second. That's fast. It'll get the job done. And that round is, as we have seen over the last couple of seasons, it is devastating. Absolutely. Now, this is a gun also that you've made as a hunting rifle. Mm -hmm. um, you wouldn't necessarily sit down at a long string of fire bench rest no. and shoot that rifle. No. Again, application, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about that all the time. Boutique cartridges have their place in their application. Right. Um, and there's nothing wrong. If you want to shoot one, go out and buy one and get into it. It's a neat learning curve. But don't discount some of those older cartridges that are still there and doing well. No, and, and, and it goes back to, think about availability. You know, when we've got some of the big guys in, in the industry going, hey, we got a powder shortage and ammo is going to go up. You know, one of the things that's going to get sacrificed is a lot of those boutique cartridges because they need to maintain the supply of the standard stuff, the NATO rounds, the, the things that most people are shooting. The, they're big sellers. We saw that happen in the kickoff of the Ukraine deal. Um, the six creeds stayed on the shelf because there was supply. But the 6.5 creeds disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, but 308 uh, also disappeared. Yep. So that NATO cartridge gobbled all up. If you look at the powder requirements, the primer requirements, um, hell, even the brass, for the most part, it's the it's same bolt lug. Yep. So with that got gobbled up and put into the war effort, and you saw your boutique cartridge, a 6.5 creed, start to disappear off the shelf. Mm -hmm. So... It, that whole economy thing plays. It does. It does. And, and, and I don't think, I, I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Um, you could end both wars tomorrow. And I would say we're probably still looking at six months to a year before you see ammo supplies getting what we would call normal. Yeah, and I, and I hate normal that. Normal looks like. Yeah, and then and I and I and I hate using that term, the new normal, right? Right. But you know where, and and I I guess I say normal is you can walk into a store, and maybe not find a lot of it, but you're going to be able to find what you're looking for. Well, and we see this with with handgun cartridges as well. Nine comes and goes. Yeah. Right, and it, it it's a pretty volatile market, as how it comes and goes. Mm -hmm. um, Forty-five ACP, it's always there. 
Well, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're, you know, a lot of shooters are phasing out that 45. 410 shotgun uh-huh. disappeared. Yeah. Absolutely the unicorn, if you can find it. And I, yeah, and I didn't understand that one. I, um, I didn't understand it either. I still don't. You know, you, you can go back when we talked to Patrick Collins. He, he I remember he talked about that a little bit. But yeah. it was one that nobody saw coming. Right. And 380, it disappeared. 380 has been difficult. Why? 380 uses the same projectile as a 9mm. Right. It just it wasn't as nearly as popular, so they stopped loading it. Mm-hmm. Trying to keep up with the 9 mil demand. Right. So those economic forces, if when you walk down that aisle of, of ammunition at your gun store, think about what's going on in the world today and why that empty hole's on the shelf. Yep. And, and I will tell you right now, if you come across the, the powder that you need, the primers that you need, the brass that you need, the projectiles, I, I would think twice before I left it on the shelf. And 6.5 PRC. Mm. A year ago, it was the unicorn. You couldn't find it. And yep. if you could find it, you paid $10 a round for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a boutique cartridge, it was recently in, introduced at that time frame, too. Yep. So now you can find it. Um, because I think the 7 PRC is starting to take traction with a lot of the Western States hunting guys. Yep. Um, I still haven't got a chance to shoot one yet. I've built a couple, but I haven't got to shoot one. What is wrong with you? Uh, time. Time's wrong with me. <laughs> but the 300 PRC seems to be stable and available. Yeah, 300 PRC I've seen quite a bit. And, I've, and I actually haven't had a hard time finding 6.5 PRC. Both of them, though, you know, you're looking at $60, $70 a box from what I've from what I've seen, and that is looking at shops across three states, four states now. That's, yeah. But you have the ability to shop multiple states. Well, yeah, I mean, I I have that advantage, but even getting online, I'm not seeing it much better than that. I think the best price I saw on 300 was $55 a box. I found the ammo prices, while they do fluctuate, they're usually pretty similar Mm-hmm. Um, from place to place to place to place. Yeah. So the the industry's doing a good job of controlling their price point. They are, they are. I didn't I didn't see anything wild. Usually it was five or seven dollars a box difference. To, right. You know, and that was, you know, being two states away from each right. other. And I'm this all for me. I started paying attention to the boutique stuff when the 17 HMR came on the scene, mm-hmm. um, almost 18 years ago. Yep. Um, it was an interesting rimfire cartridge. Um, it was fast for a rimfire. Um, it cannibalized a lot of the 22 sales at the time, um, and it made the 22 Win Mag uh, disappear. Right. Um, but it is a fad cartridge. You don't see much 17 HMRs anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, where did it go? Why did it go away? I don't know. We need I, to get I, your ammo guy back on yeah, the phone and yeah, no find kidding. out what the heck. What, what, what happened there? That's when I started paying attention because um, I was working with Brunton at the time. And uh, the guy that ran that at the time was John Smith Baker, who came from the NRA. And he had a definite opinion about cartridges and this, that, the other. He was a big NATO guy. Um, didn't like the, the new fad cartridges. Wasn't a big fan. And when it came out, I was like, I'm, I want to get one. And he talked me out of it a couple times because it was a boutique cartridge and you're not going to see it for very long. Right. I can't say that he was right, but at the end of the day, it's still there, but it's it's taking a backseat. Right. Um, you're seeing centerfire cartridges take over that space. Mm-hmm. Seeing 22 TCM come in. Mm-hmm. Um, Rock Island did a great job. Yes. And then I would call the 22 TCM a boutique cartridge. Mm-hmm. You can get factory loadings from Arms Corps, which is Rock Island. 
but it is a cartridge that is a nine millimeter neck down to 22. Yeah. So most of those pistols or carbines that come in that also double as a PCC. They give right. you another barrel for a nine mil. Right. As a consumer, that opens my options. What I can do with that platform then. Yep. So, uh, and and I'm not saying like, and and I'm kind of with you. Like, I'm I'm not saying don't look at the boutique cartridges, because uh, it and and how long do they stay boutique because before they do kind of become mainstream? And we've seen a lot of that. I, one of the ones and, and probably one of my favorites is the five seven. Um, you know that came out what ten years ago, eight ten years ago. It was a European cartridge for a long time, and then mm-hmm. it made U.S. landfall and. Some of the pistols that it was chambered in, it's a fire-breathing dragon. Oh, it's cool. In a handgun, it's quite formidable. In a carbine, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, they, they do it in, in automatic-type style weapons, mm-hmm. and it is very formidable in that. Um, it's not have a lot of reach, but it's blazing fast. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. But so... Uh, Quick announcement, we are we will not have a podcast December 28th or January 4th. We're going to take two weeks off for the holidays, um, and then we will be back second week of January. So I'm, I'm fired? Yeah. You, uh, I'm, You've yeah. been pink-slipped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll bring you back when there's more work. I've been laid off, y'all. But, I, you know, it, we, we, we kind of digested a lot today, and, and I'm sure a lot of this stuff's going to come back up. We've got some really cool guests lined up for the first part of next year, and then you're going to hear our run-up to SHOT, and we will probably be doing a show from SHOT. Um, you know, that's going to be, what, third week in January? Yep, it's the third week. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot There's a lot to unpack when it comes to the quote-unquote boutique cartridges. Um, it, it really... I think ultimately it always comes down to the shooter. Um, but if you can't get it done with a boutique cartridge, then I just you, you just keep blaming the gun. 